I'm going like to get Absol- drunk on ghosts. I don't I don't think you're supposed to do that. I think that's bad for you and the ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what happens when you get drunk on ghosts. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. We're back for our, what are we calling this, Martha? Our second semester, our year two, second season? Our sophomore year. Sophomore year, I love it. Uh, I'm one of your co-hosts, Pete Romberg, and with me, as you've already heard, is my other lovely co-host. Martha Sullivan. And with How are you today? Let me just trample right on over you. It's been a while since we've done this. <laughs> how are you, Pete? I'm how doing... have you how have you been on this hiatus? Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm just getting back from a like long weekend trip up to northern Minnesota where it was gray and chilly, but the leaves were like at peak season, so it was also kind of lovely. Nice. I about had to yourself? work this weekend. Well, oh. I had to work this weekend. We're not good at banter. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know what? Let's just let's just fast forward to when we introduce our guest. Yes. So with us uh, this week is introduce yourself. What if I don't wanna? Well, then this is going to be a long episode. I'm Bill Sullivan. I'm uh... <laughs> I'm Martha's husband. I am. A professional computer nerd, uh, amateur hockey player, and occasionally I play games. Returning guest, yay! Returning guest, yeah. Um, well, this is a really great episode to kick off our sophomore year. Uh, we're going to be talking about the documentary America to Me, which is a 10-episode documentary currently airing on Stars about the high school we all went to. But before we do that... We're going to talk about what's been stuck in our head this week. Uh, Faithful listeners will remember that in our freshman year, we had a pop culture credential segment where we talked about the thing we had consumed most recently. However, we frequently cheated and simply consumed most recently the thing we actually wanted to talk about. So we're getting rid of the shtick about uh, consuming it most recently. And instead, we're just talking about whatever it is we want to talk about, what we've been consuming and thinking about, and possibly which has been consuming us uh, for the past normally two weeks in between episodes. Um, Martha, let's start with you. What's stuck in your head this week? I rewatched all the Halloween episodes of Brooklyn Nine Nine, and it Nine-Nine. was one of the better life. It was one of the better life decisions I have ever made. Um, and then I rewatched the Jake and Amy wedding episode because I am who I am. Um, but it was just so delightful to see the escalating uh, insanity of the Halloween heist episodes of that show and how every one of those uh, Halloween specials encapsulates just everything that I love the most about that show. Um, I... So, yeah. I have seen the Halloween episodes the most of any of the episodes. Um, I, I literally only watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine when Marin is also watching them, and I'm, like, passing through. But I've seen the Halloween episodes the most, and they never get old. 
that is a mistake, Pete. You should be watching more Brooklyn Nine Nine. I, I know. I like, was going to say, at this point, I've watched Peter. a lot of it. I just haven't like watched it from beginning to end because I've watched like every episode out of order. It's only five seasons, and they're half-hour episodes. I know. I know. It took me a while to get Ugh. in a good place too. I get there eventually. It just takes time. Um, Bill, what has been stuck in your head this week? So I thought you were still doing the last thing, so I totally gamed mine. So it's it's cool that you uh, made it so I didn't have to. Again, that's why we got rid of it, because uh, everyone just yeah, gamed it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I've been listening to uh, the Ghost Note Symphonies Volume 1 from Rise Against, which is kind of an Say acoustic orchestral. Say that again, orchestral... but slower. No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I've been listening to the Ghost Note Symphonies by Rise Against. Huh. It's a record of, uh, like, something is pounding. Sorry, there's is a weird it, noise. Is anyway, it the ghost notes. It, it yes. might be the ghosts. It, it, <laughs> anyway, it's a uh, it's an acoustic and orchestral version of a lot of their their older songs, which gives me a cheat to uh, re-listen to old stuff a different way. And uh, the violence has been really kind of resonating a lot with me lately, given that this week has been absolutely the worst. So yeah. What was right against like anarcho punk? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Also, notably, uh, we used one of their songs as our first dance at our wedding. (laughs) Excellent. They also played at a show, uh, we went to see a Fall Out Boy concert that also 80% of our friend group also was at. (laughs) Was that the one Um, at Wrigley? Yes. Yeah, we should we should clarify that I looked I got the on sale for that concert. I said, Yeah, I could see Fall Out Boy again. That would be fun. And it's like, wait, with Guest Rise Against, I'm buying really expensive seats to the show. We're going to the show. <laughs> cool. Um Pete, what's stuck in your head this week? Well, speaking of this weekend being terrible and stuff, uh originally my thing stuck in my head was, I don't know, turn off media, go for a walk in the woods. Um stay away from Twitter, but I feel like that sort of Find defeats... a tree, hug a bear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that kind of defeats the purpose, so I'm going to go with something I just got in the mail the other day, which is How to Invent Everything by Ryan North. Um, Ryan North, famously of Dinosaur Comics, in, uh, wrote a book, which is a survival guide for the stranded time traveler. It's basically like pop science as using the framework of rebooting civilization from scratch. So learn about electricity and how to generate it from scratch if you're stuck in, you know, prehistoric times because your time machine broke down through no legal liability of anyone's fault. Um, entertaining book. I like Ryan North as an author, um, and it's a cool way to learn science stuff. Did I've only he... done this once. You must bring your own weapon. Safety not guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> um, did he do like an easily explained physics book? No, that's the XKCD guy. Ah, yes. Uh, Randall Monroe. It, it's kind of similar ideas. Like those two books would be good like companion pieces. So. But, well, clearly, I mean, I thought they were by the same person. So <laughs> <laughs> They might as well be. <laughs> We have just learned what Martha's getting me for Christmas. Yay! <laughs> It'd be a good gift. <laughs> All right. Wipe it from your brain. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, well, uh, shall we take a break? Yeah, before we get into the discussion, let's take a recess break. And then we'll talk about the, the documentary. All right, we're back. Um, so as I mentioned, this week's topic is the documentary America to Me. Um, it's currently in the middle of its 10-week run on Stars. It's examining the racial achievement gap at Oak Park River Forest High School, a uh, high school in the Chicago suburb of Oak Park, and a school of which the three of us are all alums. Um, by the time this episode comes out, eight of the episodes will have aired. We've only watched six of the episodes so far, so we're going to be limiting our discussion to that um, but since it's sort of a, I almost want to call it like a slice of life kind of documentary, um, we're just losing like individual moments rather than the overarching thesis statement. Uh, so I guess, do we want to start with just overall thoughts and impressions of the, of the documentary thus far? I'd actually like to start with how we all felt like before we started watching it, like how did you guys feel when you found out that this documentary was going to exist? Mm. I was on Twitter and I saw an ad for I saw a promotion a promoted ad from Stars and I was watching it without the sound on because I frequently don't have the sound on my computer cuz I'm at work or whatever. And I was like, "Huh. That looks a lot like my high school." <laughs> oh. That is my high school. Um but yeah, what did you guys think just even before you started watching it like just to know that this was going to be a thing? Uh, so my introduction to it was people talking about it in an absolutely wretched Facebook group. Mm. Uh, Pete, I think I think Pete knows what I'm talking about. Uh, called Growing Up in Oak Park. Go go to the group. Troll the hell out of them uh, because they're awful. That's all people generally about 50 to 80 years old, reminiscing about how Oak Park was in the good old days, mm. where things were whiter and no one had sex. So. The intro in that group was a lot of people starting to talk about it, and then the admin of the page banning them. Hmm. Which oh, jeez! Yeah, because they're like, no, no, we don't want we don't want to talk about politics or race in this group. But it's a group that is entirely white people talking about how things were better when everyone was white and no one had sex. Wait, it, it's a classic. So, it, it's not politics if it's like white politics because that's not politics that's just exactly life. right right talking talking about race about white people is not politics because white people are not political ever not even once not 52 percent of them voting wrong or anything yeah so and i'm coming at it from kind of a weird perspective because i graduated in 2002 and then i went back and between 2006 and like early 2009 i actually went back to my linkedin to find out what year that was because my memory for years is awful uh i actually worked at the high school um, in IT and also as a substitute teacher's aide for special ed. So I kind of heard what they're talking about, and it was like, well, yeah, duh. Like, so you've got these old folks with their heads in the sand, totally not understanding, like, what is she even get? We, we like the one colored person in our class. Mm -hmm. I'm quoting, please don't blast me on Twitter for saying that. It's not the way you should refer to human beings. Uh, and I'm sitting here like, well, yeah, because... You know, I was in classrooms with kids with IEP 
kids that were mainstreamed or kids that were very severely disabled and in separate classrooms and all sorts of different places as a sub. And overwhelmingly, those were people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in, you know, all honors classes as a student as a white kid with my parents and everybody else saying, you can't go in the regular classes. And I can go on about parts of this for a while and I think we'll get back to it later. But like I came to it and I was actually kind of reluctant to do this episode because I don't need to be told this stuff. And it's something that I find really frustrating with documentaries. It's like the people who are going to watch this thing already know this. I think this one might get a few people in Oak Park that are like, oh, the high school's in the news that wouldn't otherwise know this. But for the most part, it's it's always preaching the choir. So I, I came at this documentary, um, I found out, ab- out about it a little bit early. Uh, Steve James, who's the creator, is a family friend. Um, and so I sort of heard through the grapevine that he was doing this documentary about Oak Park, um, OPRF. And I, I was hearing it, like, percolating when he had the idea and hadn't gotten permission yet. Um, but it it struck me as both really surprising that the high school gave him the the run of it and kind of brave of it. Like, I don't want to put them on too high a pedestal. There's lots of problems with the high school, um, you know, like that this documentary is showing. But it, it does take... It's kind of shocking that the school board was willing to let, you know, this documentary film crew into the school during the school hours and expose what they generally do not want to talk about and and clearly have done a bad job of even thinking about and addressing for the past 150 years, however long the school has been around. Um, so I, I had the, the simultaneous thoughts of, like, I'm really fascinated to see what this is is going to be and props to the school board for approving it and letting it be shown. Um, Bill, I do think that some, like a lot more, like Oak Park is the kind of community that is more willing than many to watch it and think about it. But uh, at the same time, I think that like something that they said early in the documentary, I think is totally true, which is that like, because the school works for white people, it works and we don't need to change anything because the the group it was designed to serve is being served well so you know and i think that's true of oak park as a whole um for listeners who don't know oak park very liberal suburb um it it, in the 60s uh did a lot like passed a lot of legislation to uh make it a a integrated suburb when many of the surrounding suburbs were experiencing white flight um and is very proud of that fact whether it's deserved or not is up to debate, but it is a definitely racially diverse uh, community, um, more so than many of the other suburbs around it. Which is which is sort of what makes the, the high school an interesting and in many ways unique study to look at, because it, it is unlike many other high schools in the area where it is as racially diverse um, and as big as it is. So I guess that's where we came at it. Uh, do we think it worked as a documentary? Um, do you think it like feels true to you, to the experiences that we all had? Um, we were all kind of like between the three of us, we've been there since what, Bill? You were there from like '98. Yeah, I got there. So the fall of my freshman year would have been 1997. 97, sure. And then and then you, yeah, I graduated. In 2000. Right. 
And then I graduated in 06, and you were back in, in fall of 06 through 09. So we've had almost, like, 10 years of experience at the high school 10 years ago. Yeah. So. so yeah, yeah, and, and it, I don't... Oh, sorry. It is real, real weird watching this documentary for me because I spent so long there between, you know, being a student and working there. And I know these people. Mm. Like, uh, there's teachers... Uh, who was it? Um, Kiana's math teacher or uh, science teacher. Sorry, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start the sentence over again because I lost track of it halfway through it. Uh, they talk about like Tiara's science teacher was one of my classmates. Oh, like, wow. I remember. I remember uh, my mom driving him home from band practice one time. Like, I am Facebook friends with. A couple of people that show up in the documentary from when I worked with them in special ed. Like, it's really strange watching it, even beyond just, oh, yeah, I know that hallway. Mm -hmm. And, like, all the security guards who have never left. Uh, I worked in security when I was a student, so I know a lot of those people. Yeah, I mostly am familiar with a handful of teachers. Um, although Emily Steffens, one of the reading teachers, was part of my graduating class. So when they show the photos of like her soccer team and stuff, that was super weird because I know <laughs> all of those people. Uh -huh. um, but mostly thinking about whether or not this was true to my experience, I don't know that when I was a student there, I had the vocabulary to say that or like the self-awareness to, to recognize that. But it's definitely something as an adult that I look back on and say, yes, like... Um, I think as a, as a student, I was more cognizant of the weirdness around the academic class levels, like the, the fact that if you weren't in AP or honors, you were treated as basically being in remedial mm -hmm. levels. Um, but again, it's the kind of thing where now as an adult, where I have more self-awareness and just more knowledge about the world, I can look back and see how that was part of this, how the, the, the racial achievement gap was playing a part in that as well, I think. When I, like, I distinctly remember things that are still true in this documentary, like um, the cheerleading team was predominantly African-American, the was it dance? Not dance. Drill? Oh, drill team. Drill team. Drill, drill team, almost entirely white. Um, that was oh, yeah. true when we, we made... were going there. That was true then. And, like, we all knew. And we, like... We made jokes about it. Oh, absolutely. Um, and same with there was a... In one of the earlier episodes, uh, Keyshawn's mom, who herself um, had attended the high school for a few years in the 90s uh, and had been in the OC room, which um, she said stood for on-campus, but back then, it was the joke was it was out of control. When we were going there, it was out of control. Nowadays, it's still, I'm sure, the out-of-control classroom, and it's where you put, like, probably the kids that you'd classify as EBD, but you don't want to give them a classification. Um, yeah, working too. in that room was maybe the weirdest week I ever had at the high school. Yeah, yeah. And, it, like, it, it's shocking that, like, from the early 90s till today, it's the same acronym officially, and it's the same acronym unofficially, and it's the same kids in the room. Well, and backing up sort of a little bit, like talking about whether it's true to experience, like I think it's the te like seeing the teachers is still very true to my experience as a student. The rest of it is very true to my experience as a staff member, a yeah. paraprofessional. Hmm. 
the the bits that I was kind of struck by as not being and I'm going to I'm going to tread carefully here because when I say not true to my experience, I don't mean they weren't true. Um, they just weren't part of the landscape of my high school experience. There are two teachers and one in particular that I did not have good relationships with at the high school and in fact had extremely negative relationships with. Mm-hmm. Um, they are uh, Peter Kahn and also Michelle Bayer were two teachers that I like felt very hostile towards when I was a student, but watching them in the documentary, I, it is one of those things where I have to remember that my experience is not the same as everybody's. Um, for listeners, Mr. Khan is the spoken word uh, advisor. And I honestly don't know if he teaches anything else. No, he goes... He's an English teacher, but yeah, it's I, all... I think he's a he goes from class to class and every two weeks, like different class and does like a spoken word segment. Um, yeah, because every, every English class got a week on it, yeah. which I always hated because everything about spoken word is like not what I want to do performance wise. Like I was a band nerd and I wrote and all that stuff, but I was like, did not ever want to do that. So my perspective was always like, Oh great. It's, it's the week where we stop doing stuff. And like, I understood that it was really important to some students, but my, my, at the time, my attitude was always like, well, they have a club for that. Why don't they just go to the club? But of course, how do you find out if you're good at it? If you don't do it, I was like really, anything else. Like, how do you join the baseball team if you didn't play youth baseball? You've yeah. got to have some exposure from somewhere. Yeah. I was really gratified to see that my memory of him, which is uh, as being the most intense person I've ever met, uh, is is a true memory and not a false memory. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, just to return to what I was saying, I think his relationship with the kids in the documentary is really wonderful to watch and was also kind of shocking to me because it was so opposed to my experience with him. Mm-hmm. And then Michelle Bayer only gets a very brief mention so far. She's the teacher that tells Kashan that he should try out for drama. Hmm. She was my biology teacher. And again, a woman that I did not have a good relationship with. But the, the couple moments that she has in the documentary, it's like, oh, you are actually in tune to your students. And like, at least on some level, have, can recognize what they need and help guide them in that direction. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they're good at their jobs. Well, but that's the thing. When you're a teenager, <laughs> when you're oh, a yeah. teenager, you don't have that kind of understanding. And it's like whether they're good at their jobs or not is such directly relate in relation to how you feel about them personally. Mm-hmm. What What's interesting to me and, and thinking about like whether it's true for our own experiences, uh, like watching this as an adult and a former educator, it's. It's fascinating sort of seeing the behind-the-scenes stuff, all the um, the board meetings uh, and discussions about it, um, and, and like, the tension that was, like, clearly under the surface, I'm sure, while we were there as well, between uh, some teachers and administration and between administration and the board, um, which comes through a little bit in this. There's, like, I fully, fully respect the principal for not wanting to be like um, interviewed at all for this because I wouldn't want to be either if I were in his shoes. Um, but it does kind of leave a gap where where like his reasoning has to be sort of more inferred or elided re- rather than specifically addressed. Um, and yeah, watching like some of the board members like 
go outside the norms to talk to um, the uh, the English teacher uh, uh, Jessica Stovall about um, sort of like oh I don't want to say alternative methods but like other methods that like they could be incorporating um, school wide or even just in individual classrooms to try to reach out to all students rather than just the white students um, which was a proposal that she had after going on a sabbatical. Um, and studying what New Zealand does to bring its Maori students in, um, that the school board kind of just not only ignored, but, like, actively seemed to actively want to, like, not encourage, like, disencourage. Um, and that the administration seemed to be disencouraging. But because we don't get the administrative, like, side on it, it it's kind of that interesting gap that, that happens in the narrative of it. Yeah, and that's, like, um... There's a moment with uh, Phil Prail, who is, I had to look it up, the assistant superintendent for curriculum and instruction. Uh, mm. He was a history teacher when I was there. I think I was in one of his last AP American classes um, talking about how he was asking himself, like, Did, have I done enough in the in my classroom to support this? And then to go from being a classroom teacher to being direct, you know, the assistant superintendent for doing direction of curriculum and how how they want to do teaching uh mm -hmm. that's the worst way ever to phrase that but <laughs> curriculum and instruction <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly to, to do the job that he has now um but yeah to, to look at that from that perspective i think requires a certain degree of perspective that is important but then is that happening mm -hmm. um, i we've sort of got two other big things to talk about they they seem interrelated to me um martha i'll let you sort of decide which one we want to go for first um who's the documentary for and like do do we think the documentary kind of like actually succeeds at its job um i we already kind of touched on who this documentary is for earlier um because i'm i am struggling with this question a little bit because i feel like everybody i know who's watching it are either are like us or our siblings, our friends or our parents. Mm -hmm. And we all seem to be generally in agreement about what we are watching, which makes me feel like we're not really the intended audience. Um, and Pete, I don't know if your parents have watched it at all. They've watched bits um, of it. Um... My parents are struggling with it. Um, my dad feels and the last time I spoke to them they had only watched the first episode mm -hmm. which I think is the hardest one to watch just in terms of like what yeah, are the if you goals don't know what's going on it feels like a hatch to job if you do know what's um, going on it's like yeah that's what's going on but my dad's reaction was a very was very strongly like he wasn't sure about the efficacy of the documentary because he feels like the issues that they're talking about should be addressed if they're going to be addressed at all at a much younger level. So by the time you get to the high school level, it's basically too late to fix a lot of this stuff, which may be true, but I don't like the pass that gives to our high school administration. Yeah, I'd say that the yeah, I mean, I don't the, think the, the first part wrong. of that sentence is right. Yeah, like it like, should be addressed earlier. What are you doing when? you've got students who are getting to the high school that can't read. Clearly there has been a problem at lower grades. Well, but and you I also, also think... have... 
silence. Haha, she's coughing. I can talk. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, like, like you also have. Um, they they touch on a little bit where you've got there are changes in the way people socialize as they age. So even if you have a student who, you know, learned what they should have in grade school and junior high and was sociable across multiple groups of people coming in by the time they get through junior high school, by the time they get through into high school, it changes who they want to affiliate themselves with. And that starts creating some of those segregated groups, whether it's all white people or all black people. That's true. somewhat. But like Oak Park's, I I cannot speak for River Forest. They're all a bunch of rich white kids with bigger lawns than Oak Park has. So I'm sure they're all doing fine. I want to talk about the Fenwick thing. Let me, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh my Um, God. That that was fascinating on a lot of levels. Put a pin in that one. Um, Yeah. But Oak Park has, like, it's a diverse town, but it's still segregated uh, amongst itself. Like I went to Mann School, which was the, for elementary, the farthest north possibly the wealthiest i think like man and bio yes. were always in the running um yeah and then like as you got well, to the south side as, it was a lot Holmes more is, Holmes is up there yeah as yeah. someone who went to buy i can say that we made fun of the man kids for being practically river forest kids checks out um <laughs> like i'll admit I, but, but just but then, real quick so, so like you you do have to dress it early but that's not an excuse so well, well and like, two things yeah, about I went to that Louisville, which is really far northwest same deal Two things about that. One, I think that the further episodes do touch on that because they do talk about the fact that a lot of these students come in with criminally low reading levels. And like, that's not a high school. That's an issue that the high school has to deal with, but it's not generated from the high school. Right. Um, And also, I feel like the socialization and academics are two different problems. And I'm afraid, not problems, but like, two different subjects and I get I get concerned about equating them. Mm -hmm. So like, yes, I agree that kids are socializing in a particular way, but also there's this achievement gap. Like those are, yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely two issues, but they're certainly linked. I mean, you get the, like, what do you mean you're doing that? You're acting white kind of thing. Um, and I heard that in classes from kids that like, okay, you're reading at a second grade level and you're reading at a third grade level. Mm-hmm. Neither of you should be giving the other one crap about how you're doing in high school. Mm-hmm. Like you both just need to sit down and read your book mm-hmm. because we got to fix this because now we're at the point where, you know, we're looking at a test and you either have a staff member sitting there reading it to you or you have whatever other consideration taken for where you're at. And that's important and great, but you've got to get to a point where you can exist in the world. So I, I've got two tracks I want to talk about, and one is the Fenwick thing, and the other is probably a much shorter digression about um, uh, one of the kids who's the, the the only kids that they follow who has a um, uh, IEP, which means he's a special ed student. Um, IEP is an individualized education plan. Um, do you guys have a preference of which one we start with? No, but we do definitely have to make sure we make space to talk about Mr. Padolner. I don't. I had to remind myself that we have an audience because I was like, yeah, Pete, I know that. I worked in special ed. (laughs) (laughs) We all know what an IEP is on this show, but. Yeah, we all know. Um... (laughs) Both of you listeners, sorry about that. (laughs) uh, Stop roasting us like this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I think that'll be the shorter discussion. Uh, and Bill, you kind of have a little more of an in on it. So I thought his 
first off, he's like this the, is Terrence. This correct? is Terrence. He's the nicest, yeah. sweetest kid. Um, but I was I was really curious with his interactions with Mr. Noble, uh, Paul Noble, whom I never had. Uh, other people I know did, um, and I think I most did. people you did. I did. Did you like him? I, I had him for I had him for creative writing. I feel like most people who had him liked him. Um, I loathed him. Hmm. I liked him while also not feeling like he was a particularly effective teacher. But then I didn't have him for a straight like English class. I had him for creative writing, which is sort of by its nature more self-indulgent. Yeah, it's a dick around class. Yeah, I had him for creative writing and I had like the quintessential like why every science fiction writer tells you not to take creative writing Uh, was uh my experience in that class. It's like you're writing nonsense. It's it's not important. It's not meaningful. Let me read you my thing about an old black lady where I swear a lot. Well, oh, okay, I, Noble. Whatever. I, I think he comes off really well um, when uh, because he he teaches a number of the students that we follow. Um, Charles, yes. who is like an aspiring writer and a slam poet, I think he comes off very well in those interactions. Um, whereas with Terrence, I was a little unsure because he he's it, it, it almost seems like it's constantly like, well, Terrence isn't doing well in the middle of conference with his mom. Maybe he should drop down to the next level, um, etc. And I kept thinking like. What is Terrence's IEP like? Is like well, should and... Noble be providing more accommodations that we're not seeing? Is he actually doing that? And we're just not seeing it. Um, obviously, that's legally protected, so we shouldn't know. But yeah, um... I I have a lot of thoughts about that. Yeah, um, because the English program at Oak Park is intensely goofy. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was working there, I don't have current class counts because I don't work there anymore. But there were more honors English classes uh, than they, all of the rest. They, they said the current count in the documentary. We, nowadays, it's 60% of the English cl- of students in English are in the honors track. Yeah, which, which is totally insane. Because then you get these classes where, like when I was a student, I was in classes where it's like, you're not doing the, you can barely, clearly barely follow the reading. You should be in the regular class. But mm-hmm. because they have created this program where the honors class is really the only one that they pay any attention to, yeah, the remedial class or the the regular class comes we, off as remedial, which now they call college prep the, track, which is nonsense branding, which I am furious about. Well, and that's it is they they call it the college prep track, which it, I think it absolutely is supposed to be. But we live in Oak Park, where there's a whole lot of rich white people, mm-hmm. and then it becomes well, you, you can't go there. You've got to you've got to take all the AP classes. And, uh, you know, I, I know people from my class or for a couple of classes younger that have become very successful and none of them have done it through normal means because it's impossible. Like sports is sort of the easy one to look at. Like, okay, you've got 50 people on a football team, right? And you've got however many thousands of high schools, then you've got 50 people on a college team and you've got however many, you know, hundreds of top tier colleges. Then you've got 30 NFL teams or 32, however many there are. Mm-hmm. So like, you don't know anyone who's going to be a pro athlete. This is sort of a lie because my brothers actually knew Amon Shumpert. So I, <laughs> I know someone. I might, my, yeah, my Kevin Bacon number to the NBA is two. Uh, but that's one person out of how many thousands of people between your class, my class, Martha's class, and my brother Tom's class. Like that one person gets to do that thing. And that's true of just about everything. Pro sports is just the one where they end up on TV and it's really easy to look at. 
Mm-hmm. So I think there's sort of this mistaken focus put on this thing where it's like, you're going to be special. And you see it everywhere. You see it with uh, Tiara saying that she wants to be Beyonce. Where it's like, but, you're, you're not going to be. You're just not. Right. But, but Oak, Oak Park in aggregate before. has a lot of, of students who do go on to find a lot of success. There are like many, oh, yeah. many students do become like, you know, your doctors, your lawyers, your whatever, whatever, your, your writer for Vulture, whatever it might be. Hi, Abe. Yeah. Yeah, hi, Abe. We, we assume you're listening. <laughs> uh, and uh, Leon, who's hosting a uh, slow bur- the podcast Slow Burn. Uh, oh, no way. Anyway, yeah, Leon was in my uh, chemistry class. I knew him in, like, grade school. Anyway, uh, Leslie Strong ended up on Saturday Night Live. There's tons. Yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. there's lots of people who have come out of Oak Park and ended up in really cool places. If you ask those people how important it was, which... English class they were in. I mean, Abe would probably say it would matter because he writes professionally. Well, but but for a lot of people, it doesn't. And we're I think we'd better serve all of the students by putting in a class that actually matches their skills. I mean, so my youngest brother is a good example here, where he, like, I was in all. I feel in some ways very bad for both of my younger brothers because I was in honors and AP classes and was a good student, and they had other strengths, so uh, they just looked bad in comparison to my parents. But um. Like, so my youngest brother was in a lot of the regular track, like language arts and math classes and everything. Um, And, you know, graduates Oak Park, goes to community college, which like is not the, the, eventually goes to Columbia and now is, you know, making music that actually appears in this documentary. Um, Grammy, Grammy Grammy award winning, Grammy award winning musician. (laughs) Um, So it's, you're right that like, in, on the one hand, it doesn't matter what track you're on. On the other hand, he was outrageously lucky to have just befriended some people, like, knew some people who, like, were befriending people who were at that point just getting out of high school as, like, you know, basically doing spoken word type stuff themselves and then turned out to be Vic Mensa and Chance the Rapper. So, Well, I think yeah, that's I mean, always true. Yeah, ultimately, I think the, the big thing is that everything is a crapshoot. Like. Yeah. You don't know what's going to get you to be successful. And I think we the real tricky part here, and this is a problem not with the documentary, not with Oak Park High School, but with the way we have completely broken society as a whole, I think, is that, okay, teenagers are really, you know, gifted in all sorts of different ways and really passionate in ways that we cannot even begin to approach as, you know, 30-ish people at this point. They're also really stupid. Uh, and I say this as someone who has worked with them. I, you know, they're... I really work imp- with them currently, and yes, but, it's... Yeah. <laughs> they're so dumb! Like, and we put them in this place where it's like, okay, so, like, you're feeling everything way too much, and you think you know everything, and it's starting to dawn on you that maybe you actually don't know anything, and the Arist- Aristotle... You know, the first thing I know is that I know nothing. I think it's Aristotle. I didn't pay enough attention in high school, which is why I work in IT. Sure, that's a quote uh, that I'm aware of, and I'm smart yeah, enough to I, know. I, know I don't know who quote. said it. I think it's Aristotle. I don't remember who said it. Yeah. Um, because it was high school, so I was feeling lots of things very intensely. Instead of paying attention in the philosophy class, I got pulled out of to go play basketball. Anyway, um, we're putting them in this position where you have to make all these choices that everyone tells you are going to matter so incredibly much to your future. 
So like I'm going there, it's like, well, I think I want to like design airplanes, but also maybe I want to teach music or I want to do this. And I'm like writing this bonkers schedule that nobody can succeed at. And I failed a whole bunch of classes and my parents yelled at me and I made it a lot easier for my siblings because <laughs> I was not, I was not the smart one. So you paved the way low. Yeah. It was like, okay, the bar is low guys. Just don't screw up more than I did. <laughs> Katie it's came out looking real good in that outcome. Oh yeah. She's, she's the smart one. So yeah, it was, it was bad news for, well, it was good news for them. Bad news for me. But then you get out into the world and it's like, so none of this mattered. Like, unless you're going into a very select slice of professions, if you're going to go be a lawyer, if you're going to go be a doctor, uh, if you're going to teach, it doesn't matter that much. You just got to get out and go to school or don't and find something that pays the bills. And I think there's a lot of people in the middle there because, like, so special ed is the biggest department in the PRF by, like, a lot because there's an incredible number of kids with IEPs that are effectively invisible. And then you've got the uh, you've got the the honors track guys doing AP classes, getting 5.0 GPAs, which are not possible when I was there. That's a new thing. New, like I didn't graduate that place ten years ago. If it, oh god, it's a it's a long time ago. <laughs> I, I graduated yeah, there my, eleven years ago, I think. Yes, yeah, my sister is twelve years ago. Yeah, my, yeah. my sister is coming up on her ten year anniversary or her ten year reunion. I drove by mine on the way to a D&D game, so it was actually very much like high school. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's I think there's this huge chunk of people in the middle, uh, which is all of these people that they talk about being on the college prep track, that just kind of get squeezed. Where, like, they don't get the huge amount of attention that the, the honors and AP kids are getting, and they're not getting the very individualized attention that the kids with... Uh, with various degrees of, uh, what's the word? The kids with various degrees of support from having IEP, from being in special ed classes, from you know having AIDS or whatever else are getting, and these kids in the middle are just kind of stuck. And I don't know what the answer for them is. I mean, the, the problem with all this, we can talk about it for two, three hours a day, forever, and we're never going to know because we're talking about what do you do for 3000 kids? Yeah. Times every high school everywhere. Martha, you're looking at saying something. Um, I was just going to say that related back to my own experience. Um, I ended up dropping both math and science by my senior year, because when I, when I asked my advisor about moving down to moving out of the honors track for those, because I had a very hard time in honors chemistry and knew to the core of my being that any sort of honors physics or AP calculus or any of that was just not going to happen. Uh, my advisor, something that she told me in all seriousness was, if you do that, you will ruin your entire transcript. Mm -hmm. So I ended up like I said, I was out of math and science by by my senior year because it was apparently it made more sense to just not take them than to take regular level classes. And I related to that, the entire advisor system needs to be taken out behind the school and hit with a hammer. Like I will be interested no to see I if know. they address that in the show at all. There was a brief 
mention of like somebody having a problem and them saying their advisor pulled them out of class and that was the only time they ever saw their advisor. I do not know literally anyone who had anything but a negative experience with the just god-awful advisory system they have there. So I would like to talk, I, I said this jokingly earlier, but I would actually like to talk about Mr. Podolner specifically mm. um, because I feel like he represents how a lot of Oak Parkers see themselves because he That's is... That's a good way to put it. He is a teacher who sort of prides himself on being very racially aware and like being in touch with his African-American students. Um, he, he comes across in the documentary as being somebody who needs validation that he is one of the good guys to the point where I felt very inappropriately. He actually has some of his physics students read like a memoir that he wrote about himself and ask for their input about it. About his own family's like racial wokeness history. Yes. Yeah, like I'm watching that scene like, no, Aaron, no, Aaron, don't do it. What are yeah. you doing? Don't, don't do, do it, it man. He, he comes across as, as the quintessential like oblivious white woke, like th thinks he's woke white person where he's like, I'm... Yeah, I mean, I'm so in touch. That. Well, and and he has, there's. Sorry, we're all just like so agog <laughs> at how terrible this dude comes off. Well, no, I, I will there's say this: a, I'm, I'm sure that there are some students who. Kitchen with Jess Stovall. Who's an and, English teacher? Yeah, so he's he's in the kitchen with Jess Stovall. They're talking about how they want to do, uh, have like a, a teacher group looking at racial issues. Which is a great, important thing. And he's like, yeah, no, you know, I feel like I know so much about black hair. They feel comfortable. It's like, whoa, dude, what are you doing? And and she does like, kind of push back on him. She's like, uh, well, and you can okay. just see her go like totally dead. Yeah. After a minute, after he's just yammering about this stuff, where it's just like, dude, come on, you you don't belong in this place. Like, if know the stuff, so that if somebody like asks you a question or has an issue, you can address it. But he's got the student. The one student saying, Jaina. you know, I'm deeply uncomfortable when you do this. And it's like, oh, yeah, but it's like, no, dude, that's where it ends. Well, and it's not about racial anything. If a student tells you that you're making them uncomfortable, this is like educator 101. That was the most frustrating thing for me because I, I feel like and I, I had some friends who had him and really liked him. I think he was like the the head AP physics teacher uh, when I was there. And people were like, yeah, but don't, like my friends were yeah, AP I think physics, he's a totally decent guy. He did great job. Totally. Well, I, I think he has Ugh. a kind of energy that some students um, respond to very well and some students don't. But if but you have to you as an educator have to be able to turn it on for the students who do find it useful and turn it off for those who don't. And he doesn't in a way that's well, like and aggressively yeah, and it's, it's totally, uncomfortable. Yeah, it's it's just the like, no, no, but every time someone tries to call him on it and it's and, that's and also, where if, to me it goes from being like okay you're trying and you failed but learn something like nobody is going to be right every time and all this stuff it is a minefield in which everyone feels differently also if you're so, if you're a racially woke white person never ever 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 talk about hair to students of color because you're just yeah, automatically you, you going don't start to fail that conversation yeah you absolutely do not start that conversation yeah. like well and all of this is why 
I I think that the role that he is playing in this documentary is a little bit maybe supposed to be illustrative of the kind of allyship that I think a lot of Oak Parkers perform. Mm -hmm. This kind of like, no, I'm one of the good guys, I promise. And then when they're confronted with... Look at how much of a good guy I am. Exactly. And then when they're confronted with criticism from the group that they are supposedly trying to be an ally with, like they can't hear it. It's like somebody trying to call you on a racial microaggression and your initial response is, oh no, I'm not racist. Yeah. It's like... There are well, yeah, many... and, that's, and that's not the answer to the an- the question to answer. It's like, oh, it. The, I mean, the right answer is, I'm sorry, I fucked up. How can I do better? Sorry, you guys don't swear on this show. We'll I'm it. sorry, I messed up. How can I do better? Pete will be people. Pete will bleep it out. I put a record um, scratch sound. Yeah, get ready on that one before we get to the Fenwick part. That was the main point I wanted to make about Mr. Podolner was that I I do believe that he is a good guy. I think he's a good teacher. And I think that in this particular documentary, he does not come across very well because of that performative allyship. Mm -hmm. It's also hard when you're on blast on a national media. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I I cannot say with any degree of certainty or without lying completely that I would not completely lose my mind if people were saying, you know, oh, we saw you on TV and looked like a dick. You know, I expect it on Twitter after I'm on this episode. So, yeah, hi, uh, at Conspire, yell at me. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of completely losing our minds, uh, let's talk about that Fenwick bit. So, oh, that Fenwick bit. So, um, Fenwick, Fenwick was... Not the... enough of them to get the crap beaten out of him in parking lots after basketball games. Right. Oh, my so, God. <laughs> so, Fenwick was the rival high school, still is, uh, the rival high school. It's the Catholic school in Oak Park. Um uh, for years, I guess, uh, the basketball teams would play each other at um, the University of Illinois Chicago's big arena. It was a big thing. As with any high school rivalry, you have crowds shouting at each other. You have riled up emotions. You have people dialed up to 11, um, which during the year that this documentary was made led to uh, fights happening in the basketball in, in the in the parking lot and Oak Park being uh, very much blamed for sort of like riotous behavior. Um, not, I think they said that they were disinvited from future um, events at the University of Illinois Chicago's arena, um, and we sort of saw that all through the. I'm gonna say like the leadership group, some some sort of like student, yeah, it's a, student it's leadership, a, like a leadership club, get, that, getting leadership reamed, class, rather, yeah, getting reamed out by uh, various staff members for, I guess, not being good leaders even though and this yeah, was frustrating to me the most the principal of the high school was there and did nothing yeah no i mean everything about that response was terrible first of all like okay we weren't at the game we haven't seen all of the chanting but Benwick is a bunch of dirtbags um <laughs> well, so, so this is interesting because like, i'm like, like like you look at you look at the chants that are happening that they show us at the game and it's like oprf is talking smack about basketball then you've got Fenwick going with the, like, you know, you're going to pump our gas. We'll be your boss. Like. So I, I will say this. Watching it with Marn, who, who grew up in a, a, you know, small town, Minnesota. She was like, oh, my God, those chants are awful. While at the same time having her own experiences of at, like, other events having, you know, public, private schools having them chant, like, you know, public, public, private, private. But, like, not to the extent that. Oak Park and Fenwick both were going, so maybe it's that we well, all are just I mean, used to that. Looking at the looking at the rivalry, like when I was in high school, Oak Park and 
Fenwick did not play football games against each other. Mm-hmm. They, they had already just stopped doing that because it was not good for anybody. Because it got so bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a nightmare because, yeah, they're terrible people. There's an earlier episode when they are playing a football game against someone, and I guess I just assumed it was Fenwick. But no, it was, like, team... was, I think, Glenbard? Or Glendale oh, North, okay. one of those places. Because, yeah, they were hollering real gross racial slurs yep. at the OPRF team as yep. well. well and, yeah, I mean, that's worth noting, again, the location of Oak Park, right? Like, we're butted up right, butted up right against the city, against Austin, which, if you know anything about the layout of Oak Park, is not a super great neighborhood. Um so everyone that Oak Park plays against in high school sports until you get to beyond the conference level is farther west than us, which means they're richer than us, which means they're whiter than us. Well, so when uh, we were all going there, our football team was garbage. So apparently that racialized dynamic wasn't there because they would just beat us every time. So it's fine. But in this, in the year of the documentary, works. no, the year of the documentary, but the team were... was doing good, which is why right. it became a lot more racialized because now it's you know much like trump's america as soon as white people think that they're starting to lose something it's entrenched yeah well and the i i have to sort of balance my response to the the basketball game thing between several things the first is that i went to oak park but i don't have great uh great feelings about fenwick there is also uh, given the way school choice is coming, I'm increasingly the opinion that if you send your kid to a private school, your kid should be taken away. Um, and the fact that the kind of people who are at Fenwick making those chants are the kind of people who end up getting interviewed by Congress this week, mm-hmm. uh, where the money makes everything okay. And I... Yeah, okay. The Oak Park High School leadership completely bungled the response to that. Um, the They mentioned that the previous year they had already had a parking lot fight because, you know, there's somebody holding a sign that says parking lot 2.0. Uh, they, they know it's coming. But I think it's also kind of telling that it's the Fenwick kids that call CPD. Yeah. Or someone, or, or the forum. It's. It is the rich people getting protected by the police, which is emblematic of so much stuff uh, in terms of racial equi- racial equity and uh, class separations. What, what, and it's really ugly. What was most like cosign everything you just said? What was most frustrating to me was the Oak Park administrators who were present at the game and did nothing. And then turn around and remount. Blamed it on the kids. Kids who might not have yeah, even well, and, been there. Well, and, and reaming the kids that are voluntarily trying to be leaders in the community. Yes. Like, Th- this is how you make them not want to be leaders in the community. Yeah, so you give a, you've got 14-year-olds, 14, 15, 16-year-olds, 14 to 18-year-olds. You know, they're probably higher level, higher grade students. Anyway, you've got teenagers who have volunteered take a leadership role but it's a class right it's not like they're getting a shiny badge that says i'm a student leader so you get one of these kids that's working to learn leadership skills to better themselves in their community and you say okay so in this giant mob you're supposed to stand up and keep that from turning into a riot you get trampled this kid's gonna get thrown onto the court at the at the uic forum yeah sorry uic pavilion it's the other stadium 
I work at UIC, so I am also fairly close to this stuff. Um, I actually worked there when that happened. I'm sort of curious if I was on campus that day. Anyway, um, the yeah, it's you have this thing where like they want to say that they are empowering kids to be better when they themselves are not being better. Mm-hmm. Like yes. they're 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 pulling it all down on the students in a way that's just wildly inappropriate. Uh, and I honestly hope that everybody involved with that decision is watching this documentary. They bloody well should be because it's about their school and it says some stuff that they should really be hearing from their own staff and they haven't been listening to. Mm-hmm. And, and I and, really and... hope all those people are sitting there on their couch with a drink going, oh, and, damn, we screwed that one up. Well, and many of the staff members involved in that, um, I don't know if it's a club or a class or what, were like, we don't know why the administration is yelling at these kids about this because it kind of isn't about them. It's about, you know, what were the adults yeah. in the room doing, not what these, like, 15-year-olds were doing. Um, yeah, I was, yeah, I was and, proud and of this is Novotny. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. given the stuff that's getting chanted, if Fenwick is still in, this, in that tournament, to hell with that tournament because yeah that kind of there there's no way in hell that you have that kind of class coded chanting mm-hmm. in this town and you don't understand that it is absolutely being racist yep especially in a basketball setting yes Fen- fenwick is yeah, I mean, almost entirely white yeah let me see if i can find stats on that yeah actually that's a good point it's almost entirely rich um so we should probably enter the end game on this discussion. We obviously could talk about this for the next four hours um, and then wake up tomorrow morning and keep talking about it. Um, but I kind of want to end this with just a really quick, like not discussion, but just like gut check, one, two, three of, so kind of the entire thesis is that it, uh, of the uh, documentary is that um, we have, you know, education inequality at this storied high school that um touts as being a very successful and and successful i think i just said successful and successful uh this very successful high school um but because of who we're following and sort of like the focus of it we look a lot more at the um what they call college prep which is really the regular level um classes and not a lot at the honors and ap track at least as far as the um uh, up to episode six which is what we've seen um so I just want to get a real gut check before we end this discussion of do we think it's successful so far at presenting sort of this like a tale of two schools of the um, other than the data, which is obviously very compelling, but um, narratively and documentarily, does it show two distinct schools um, or is it kind of harder to tell that if, if you're not already like coming at it with four plus years of, of lived experience there? Um, so real quick aside, I Google it. Uh, the internet is telling me that there's about 1200 students at Fenwick and 7% of them are black. Yep. So that's about eight people. Yep. Sounds about right. Yeah. 70% white, eight, 16% Hispanic, 7% African-American, 3% multiracial, 2% Asian, uh, which actually is a little lower than I would have thought. And, uh, and, and Oak Park scans, uh, Somewhat shockingly close to the the national average, I think, for um, uh, racial breakdown. Yeah, I think it it starts to get weird if you start breaking down the elementary schools 
like right. we were talking about how man is overwhelmingly uh, affluent and pretty white. Uh, I went to Whittier, which is a lot higher percentage of black kids because we're much closer to Austin. Um, but but the high school is um, scans like yeah the high school is a good not mix perfectly but very close. It's to all the of the town. Yeah, um, um, that's also where I did want to mention really fast because it was something that struck me, and I'll prom I promise I'll stop doing weird asides. Um, we see a lot of families, but non-traditionally structured families in this, yeah. which I think is really interesting because when I worked there, I found out that the school at the time, at least had a investigator on staff whose job it was to find out if people were lying, basically lying about where they lived in order to go to a park. That, that was always a story that was circulating when I was going there as a student and probably I'm sure that. They had someone like that while you were a student there as well, because it's oh it's, yeah, it's the yeah. classic like, why should our tax dollars pay for somebody who doesn't pay taxes here? Maybe well, and that's a... and that's where it gets interesting because then you get into the the so there, apocryphally, there are cases where someone says, oh yeah, I live with my aunt, who lives in Oak Park, and it's like, well, your aunt lives in a one bedroom bungalow, you don't really live there, but then we're seeing students in this case where you have Tiara living with her sister. And she's really living with her sister. Yeah. Like, I think it's something that is uh, bandied about amongst predominantly white honor students at the high school. Like, oh, well, there's people sneaking into our classroom. And it's the same bullshit that leads to uh, concern about people coming over the border. You've got, but the illegals are voting. It's like, no, they're not. I was going to say, it sounds, it sounds a lot like the welfare scammer Yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah, exactly. And... Ultimately, you know, it's it's one of those things, too, where you say, OK. So if there's a kid in my class that doesn't really live in Oak Park, that doesn't want to go to CPS in Austin, I'm not mad about it. Mm -hmm. nope. Like, let's educate people. Is the cost of the God's investigator sake. worth the right? How much does that kids a year? Yeah. Yeah. How many how many kids do they actually find? Yeah. I mean, clearly it's a non-zero number because they keep the guy on staff. But it is it does sort of feel a little performative, like, well, we have to be able to tell the tell the River Forest moms that no, no, no. All the black kids that go here actually live in Oak Park. Yeah, uh, they definitely don't live in River Forest. Yeah. Um, so I, I do want to get back to that last question I just asked about, like, whether we feel like like so far up to episode six, it has presented a like a. a you know, two different schools in one or whether it feels more just like partly because we're not following terribly many white students, which is an issue they specifically address in episode five, that they had a hard time finding any white students that they could follow and like and film and, and whose parents were OK. Yeah, with I, th it. I thought that was that was very telling, very telling. they were trying and failing to get yes. to get white kids to be on the show. It's like, yeah, because you know what you're going to look like because you know what this town looks like. Yeah, I have I have two questions for you guys. Mm hmm. And they're related, Pete, so I promise I'm not derailing from your question. Cool. If we if we had been students at the time this documentary was being made, first question, would you have agreed to be part of the documentary, and do you think your parents would have let you? I think I would have, because I was always sort of the radical left type guy, like... I was in an AP Gov class, and, like, me and a couple other friends joked that we were the socialist block of the class, um... 
that being said, a question I wanted to talk about, but I think we ran out of time, was just something I was thinking. It would suck to be a student now because you're not only have to figure out your own identity, but swimming in the world of 2018 identity politics, which like when I was a high school student, it was just like, yo, are you like anti-Bush and anti-war? And really the question is, how anti-Bush and anti-war are you? Um, and And everything else about identity politics was subsumed a lot because it wasn't something that was mainstreamed now you can ignore it sure but it is part of the mainstream conversation that some of these students are grappling with um jada sort of doing that documentary about it uh, is is fascinating and also like i loved that by yeah, the way like you don't even know your own document or your own identity as a high school kid and now you have to deal with national identity politics discussions that are happening at uh you know all levels of society so i'm really glad i'm not a high school student right now for many reasons um yeah i think with the people that i knew um who were predominantly white because i was a big old nerd and that was who was in those groups there was a lot more discussion of sexual identity mm -hmm. yeah uh than i would say probably in in average slice um well, no, Oak but, Park is still yeah. very cutting edge with that. Um, True, yeah. Yeah, and I think we had more, the people that I knew at least had more discussion of, like, relationship, alternate, alternative relationship dynamics, uh, varied sexualities. I think it was before um, gender identity really became something that was discussed. Um, I... No people. I went to school with people who have since come out as varying, varying gender identities. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't really a thing um, that was discussed at, around. I mean, I'm coming at all this for, as a like relatively upper middle class hetero white guy. Like, I have all of the advantages here to not see this stuff. But at least from my perspective, I'm not seeing a lot of it. To answer your question, Martha, uh, I would not have in a hundred years tried to be in this documentary because I'm terminally camera shy. But my folks probably would have wanted me to do it. See, I think I'm the opposite. I think that I would have been like, yeah, sure, whatever. And my parents would have been like, mm, no, actually. Mm. I, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think my parents would have been comfortable with me being in this at all. And I think that I would have because I don't know that I would have even considered like wider implications of what it could mean to be part of it. I yeah, I, would, I, mean, I like, would argue that well, when we all were there, this documentary couldn't like couldn't have been made because I don't think there would have been the discussion around it, and it wouldn't have been made for the same reason because it hadn't reached sort of more a national or even local conversation level in the same way that it is now. Um, I mean, I remember there being discussion about the achievement gap at that point. Yeah, um, but, but not like this. But a lot of it, but, and a lot of it was um, the push it down, what are we doing in the grade schools? Mm. How, do, how do we teach better? And it was, I think it's also relevant that all of us went to school before the introduction of Common Core. So, like, that's a disaster in no, terms of I am pro Common Core. Things... I, I will support Common Core as a pedagogical structure. I am I opposed, say, I, I, I'm, I'm me, opposed to standardizing through this testing, but yes, no, I am. I am all about there being a standardized curriculum and like that. But I think it was before the introduction of all the data. Yeah, that you get from that wealth. Yes, 
giant that giant steaming pile of standardized testing um, to be able to say it's really there. Mm-hmm. But like, I mean, I remember as a student, but, but there's being still the aware ISAT, and of... there's still the um, like the ACT scores. Like, there was a lot of data. Oh yeah, yeah. But it's but you don't have year but you don't have year by year, year over year as much. Especially since the college board keeps changing the way the SAT works, so no, it's like we, we had that you can't since... compare scores between different decades, that kind of thing. We might cut this whole thing out, but like, but the ISAT was something that kids took in like what third grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, maybe yeah. ever grade in between. So like, Illinois had standardized yearly testing, and so Oak Park could compare between schools, could compare with other districts, um, and then ditto with the high school. You have the knowledge, like they bring up last time they did this in depth study was like oh five i think and it's like okay. white students improved on the act score over that time period since 05 and yeah. students of color basically flatlined. right so like there's there well, is like, longitudinal data we have even before um common core you know it, it, it's well, hard I mean, it's hard I mean, to compare between states like, but yeah like even anecdotally though like you sit in a classroom as a student and my the one that for me always stood out was when you'd have people read aloud Mm-hmm. because I was a very early reader. I read really fast. People reading aloud at a normal speed drives me totally insane because it's too slow. And then you get into the, like, okay, which kids are are stumbling over this reading out loud, and what do they look like? Mm-hmm. And if a ninth grader can figure that out, how in the hell are we not getting better results out of teachers? And I think the answer is we're getting great results out of teachers recognizing this. But you're not getting large scale action from the uh, from the yeah. administration. Yeah. And that's a real problem. Pete, in final answer to your question, I think that the documentary becomes more successful at demonstrating a tale of two schools the further into it that it gets. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah, because the, yeah. the, the width, yeah. the breadth of the students that it follows, uh, why like the scope of the students that it follows widens. And I, I think it's a, a story that benefits the more stories we get to see. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I think as they bring in more students, it becomes a lot better. Although I want to hit this baseball kid in the face. <laughs> His name Please is Brandon. He can't I, help it. Yeah, I, um, I, I don't like that kid. So I, I bring up that whole question about the tale of two cities, because like I said, I've been watching this whole thing with Marin, and, and most of what she's been seeing has been like, She's like, I don't know, it seems like any normal high school to me as we're looking at the, like, the college track classes. Um, and and so it's that discussion of, like, I was on the honors AP track, and it's like, well, this isn't what my classrooms look like. Um, and, you know, she taught in, in Milwaukee public schools and went to a, a small town up north. So, like, her experience and exposure to what, what classrooms look like or don't look like is very different than the lived experience of oak park so i think early on it was kind of harder to get that sense of of the gap uh but i think you're both right that as the documentary has gone on you feel that more as you sort of you bring in more outside perspectives and you see everything that's going on um and and you know it's a 10-hour documentary so obviously it's going to get better as it goes on because it hour one is just like barely setting the stage for what becomes an entire year at a school and I think it's really relevant that it is chronological mm-hmm. because like you see Terrence really struggling at the beginning. And then later, I think it's episode four, episode five, uh, you see him working with Lisa Mancini Vincent, the assistive technology teacher. 
I don't think she's actually a teacher. I forget what her job title is. Um, but they see they show him working with her on how to be able to dictate to the iPad to have things read to him. Mm-hmm. And those are the kind the kinds of assists that for a student like him that has those sorts of deficits is is going to be really helpful. But like all this stuff, if everything takes time and you only have four years, how much can it help any individual student? Yeah, and and he's already a junior, and and is just and part of that is the technology ne- might not necessarily be there. But oh like, yeah, you know, great that well, that technology and... shows up. Hopefully that the the Terrence in eighth grade, you know, is getting that yeah, technology exactly. there. And you know, I I know her from when I worked there, and she's really good at what she does. But to my knowledge, she's the only person doing that job. Yeah. So you've got one person focusing on assistive technology for however many kids with various IEPs and to try to get to all of them and say, okay, you need a reader. You need uh, a way to write things down faster. Here's a kid who's nonverbal who uses a button board. Mm-hmm. Like to get to all of those kids. It, it's all and money to keep and it's all, all that time. stuff running. Yeah. 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 I mean, I spent a lot of time when I worked there in classrooms with kids who were nonverbal, who were in wheelchairs, who were very pretty severely disabled. And talking about Common Core and about looking at improve, improvement for a single student year over year, you're looking at kids who can't identify colors in some cases. Yeah. Well, and, and, and that's how, what do the IEP, that, how do you adapt to that? That's what the IEP yeah. kicks in. But um, So I, I think we're going to go end the conversation here unless there's any last final thoughts that someone has to get off their chest. I'm good. Cool. No, I've already talked way too much. <laughs> All right. Well, um, shockingly, that's all the time we have for this week's episode. Thank you for sticking with us for the three-hour discussion of our high school. Um, <laughs> you can find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere else fine podcasts are found. Please do rate and review us. That's how other people can find out about us. And as always, one of your homework assignments is to recommend us to a friend. Um, you can find us on the web at homeworkpodcast.com. You can email don't us. Don't really. Don't don't go there. Go to the Facebook page. All right. You can go to our Facebook page. Uh, search for... I'm going to the website right now. I've never actually looked at it before. Did you do your homework? <laughs> um, you can also email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. Uh, suggestions for homework assignments for topics for requests to be on the show uh for just feedback happy to get it um and especially tweet at us and find us on twitter at dydyh podcast martha where can people find you on the internet um so you can find me everywhere on all the social media at magical martha i have also just started a newsletter so if you have ever thought to yourselves your ideas are intriguing and I wish to subscribe to your newsletter, you can do that now if you go to tinyletter.com slash magical Martha. I have I have published two issues so far. Uh, the first one was all of my thoughts and feelings about the Tom Cruise movie The Mummy. Uh, my second one was all of my thoughts and feelings about the Halloween episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine that I was talking about earlier. So uh, it is how did I not most... know about this when I live in your house? Because I just started it like three days ago. Okay. Two sentence summary. The mummy, worth it or not? Worth it. Awesome. I'm going to hate watching Um, one of these nights. Yes. Uh, And also, Bill, you never go on Twitter. So 
I sometimes go on Twitter. I just don't read anything. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, Bill, do you want people to find you on Twitter or elsewhere on the internet? Uh, and if so, where? Yeah, you can find me on most things as uh, Conspire, C-O-N-S-P-Y-R-E. You can talk to me on Twitter. Uh, if you at me, I will probably respond. I'm not super great at actually reading my timeline because everything is terrible. The world's a dumpster fire uh, but... and Twitter sucks. <laughs> yeah, so basically, if you want to, if you want to find, if you want to yell at me for one of the many things I've said today, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter as Conspire. Uh, my feed is mostly untapped badges at this point, uh, <laughs> but that's okay because I drink too much. Well, even though Twitter <laughs> is mostly a dumpster fire, I'm aggressively on it at Pico three thousand, uh, P I K O three thousand. Politics, pop culture, music. Uh, trying to be less aggressively on it because you know things i took it i took it off my phone so did last I. weekend while my sister was getting married and i thought to myself that was a good idea that probably lowered my blood pressure as i was downloading it back onto my phone on monday so we're all addicted to social media follow yeah. us on all the things bill thank you so much for coming back and doing this show with us again it was lovely to have you yeah i feel like i talked over everyone too much but uh you know we all... Pete's got the edit button so yeah the power of editing means have... you said nothing and we all had a lot of for the best. We all had a lot of feelings, so it was fine. Yeah. Um, Martha, what are we doing yes. next episode? Uh, speaking of feelings, we are going to be talking about problematic faves. Yes. There has been a lot of conversation in our pop culture sphere about people that we loved or love um, who have we have discovered are perhaps garbage human beings. So we are going to take a look at some of the pop culture that, in retrospect, um, either the stories themselves or the creators or some combination thereof, turns out to be a little problematic and how we feel about that as fans, how that has changed our relationship with that media. We will be joined by uh, another guest or another former guest of our show and co-host of 40 Going on 14, Joel, uh, who will be talking about The Cosby Show and Bill Cosby. The farthest uh, end of the spectrum uh, of our uh, yeah, faves. Uh, Pete, what are you assigning? I am assigning The Breakfast Club as part of a conversation about John Hughes and sort of 80s comedies in general. And I am getting very personal and talking about Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling. And you're doing so, Sorcerer's Stone, the book, correct? Yes. Great. Um, so, yes, join us in two weeks. Uh, thank you for listening. And class dismissed. <laughs>